0: All right, if you would, let's go to Hebrews chapter number 10 this morning, Hebrews chapter number 10, and we're going to be looking at a portion of this chapter, and we're going to consider this morning uh, the basis of justification, the basis of justification. And so we'll look at Hebrews 10, and then we'll also look at paragraph 3 of the Confession. So if you'd like to have uh, both of those things ready today, uh, we will certainly be looking at both. So let's begin, just a second here. Let's begin in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning there at verse number 1. It says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. But a body thou hast prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices, for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings, and offering for sin, thou wouldest not. Neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. There's a lot we could cover in this passage this morning, but I primarily want us to look between verses 10 and 14, But specifically looking at verse number 14 as we consider the basis of our justification where it says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. By one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Again, as we consider the subject of the basis of our justification, we can clearly see even from Hebrews 10 that the basis of our justification is founded in the work of Christ. So when we talk about the very basis of our justification, we cannot mention that apart from the work of Christ. As we study this passage, then as we look at the paragraph number three in the Confession, we see how that's very clearly taught and very clearly demonstrated, that it is the work of Christ that is the basis of our justification. You'll notice in verse number 12, it makes mention to this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Now we have to keep in mind that under the Old Testament and under in the Old Testament temples and tabernacles and the sacrifices, after the sacrifice was given, every priest, uh, every priest uh, stood. So after the sacrifice was given, they remained standing but under christ and what we need to fully understand here it says this man sat down now this sitting down this is an instructive uh, piece of information that's in scripture the fact that this man sat down is con- is different than what would have been in the old testament that priest would have remained standing and the the instruction here is is that he remained standing because there was still more work to do christ sat down because there was no more work to do. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father because there's no more work to do. That's why the Bible is so clear that it doesn't just say he's at the right hand of the Father. It says that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. So this man, after he had offered one sacrifice, for sins forever, notice this, sat down on the right hand of God. Now those typical priests... Would continue, as we've mentioned, to stand because there was still work to do. Uh, Even after uh, they had gone through all their series of required sacrifices, all the requirements of, of giving, they would still have more to do. But Christ sat down because there was no more sacrifices. Now that's the key. No more sacrificial work to do. When we think about atonement and we think about our justification, there is no more work to do. Atonement is complete. What Christ accomplished on the cross was not left open-ended. There is no more work to do. He has already finished the task. So when I think about my justification, when you think about your justification, we cannot think about it without considering the work of Christ. So we see that this man offered one sacrifice, in verse 13, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. We're in that stage now where that's, we're waiting when eventually he is coming and every enemy will be made his footstool. There will be no more enemies of the cross. There will be no more oppression. But for by one offering, verse 14, he hath perfected, notice the time frame here, forever, them that are sanctified. It's important to notice the word them. This does not say that the world is sanctified. It identifies them, which means that not everyone can claim that they have received the justification that his one sacrificial offering has given. This that verse alone blows apart universal atonement. It blows apart universal salvation that somehow some way everybody in the end is going to be in heaven. Now the world, even non-believers often live in a world that believes in some form of universal atonement. Because even an unbeliever makes mention something, and I know these are sad statements, even at a funeral of a loved one. They say, at least this person's in a better place. On what basis? On what basis do you make that statement that they're in a better place? Because apart from Christ, they're not in a better place. I would submit to you they are in the worst place. So the basis of this justification, the work of Christ, was never intended to just simply declare universal atonement. Now, again, this is where we get into those controversies of of particular belief systems, and we're going to pull at a lot of these this morning. But you'll notice again in verse 14, by one offering, he hath perfected. The word perfect there means to make complete. Now, the real glory, the real... uh, power behind this text is that we are perfected forever. It's not just perfection for tomorrow and then we're allowed to fall from grace. This isn't a temporary perfection. Imagine being perfect today but falling from grace tomorrow. Imagine saying you're perfectly complete today but tomorrow you might be declared incomplete. This perfection is a complete perfection where he will not allow any of his own own, to fail or to fall. It is not possible for someone who has been justified on the basis of the work of Christ to fall away from Christ. It is not possible for you to be in Christ and then to not be justified by Christ. Now again, we are not talking about morality here. We're not talking about whether someone acts like it or not. We're talking about someone who has legitimately been born again. They have legitimately had their sin atoned for. They cannot change their standing before God no matter what they do. That is not a license to sin, but that is the reality, that our standing is what's in play here. Not our actions, our standing. Justification is not about our actions, it's about our standing before God. What is our standing? Our standing is based upon the righteousness of Christ. It's based upon His righteousness. So we're not just perfected for the next few years and then we're turned away from the covenant because of bad behavior. And every one of us ought to shout amen for that because your bad behavior is gonna sneak up on you again and you are gonna behave badly it's a guarantee you're going to behave contrary to the Word of God. But thankfully your justification is not based upon whether you behave badly or not, because that's a given. We already know we're all going to behave badly. The promises and the justification here is the work of Christ. It's been described this way that the blood of Christ has been sprinkled on us. So as a result, Our standing before God is the standing of perfection. Why? Because his precious blood is perfect. My standing is based upon the work of Christ, not upon my work. Imagine always being perfect. Perfect to what? Perfect to always be fit to come before the throne of God. There's not a moment that as a child of God in my justification that I'm not permitted to go to the throne of grace. Not a, not a moment for all of eternity that I am not permitted. You can't keep me away from the throne of grace, even by your own rules and regulations. You can't keep me from Christ. You can't keep me, through the, you can't keep me from the throne of God. Not because of my merit, but because of Christ's merit. The work of Christ is the basis of my justification in totality. And it's perfection Forever. Which means it's not something I'm going to get when I, when I die. I am already perfect in the sight of God as far as my standing. Now my actions are another matter. But my standing declares the work of Christ is my merit. So whatever our doubts might be today, whatever our sins might be today, we come before God based upon our standing not based upon our character we hear terms like this in society character matters it does integrity matters it does but when it comes to the standing before god it is not your character and it's not your integrity it's not your honesty that's giving you permission to come before the throne of grace what's giving you permission is jesus christ's work period that's the only reason you're invited to come Not because of what our character is one day, because our character is sometimes different, dependent upon who the audience is. Sometimes our character is great when we're around other church people, but our character is terrible when we're by ourselves. Sometimes our integrity with one another is great. We seem honest, but when we're by ourselves or in the workplace, we're dishonest. We lack integrity. Our character might even be in question by people. There may be people out there who know we're a believer and they say, that's a believer, but you know they're not a real high character quality person. Now again, that ought not be said of Christians. You should be of high character. You should be of high integrity. You should be honest. We should all be those things. We should be the hardest working people anybody's ever seen. We should be joyous people. All those things should be true because of our standing before God, and were perfected forever. So we come as perfect people, not in character, but because of the basis and the nature of Christ. Now, if you look at paragraph three, and we always want to start with scripture before we look at the confession, I want you to notice how this paragraph really highlights the things that Hebrews 10 just showed us. Paragraph 3, Justification, chapter 11. Christ, by his obedience and death, did fully discharge the debt of all those who were justified, and did, by the sacrifice of himself in the blood of his cross, undergoing in their stead the penalty due to them, make a proper, real, and full satisfaction to God's justice in their behalf. Yet, inasmuch as he was given by the Father for them, and his obedience and satisfaction accepted in their stead, and both freely, not for anything in them, their justification is only of free grace, that both the exact justice and rich grace of God might be glorified in the justification of sinners. Now the references, we're going to look at a few of these this morning. The references you'll see in your copy of the confession, Mark, the very first one, is found uh, on as far as Christ's full satisfaction to God's justice in their behalf. That points us back to the reference we just looked at, Hebrews ten, fourteen, for by one offering he hath perfected for them forever them that are sanctified. It also points us to 1 Peter 1 and Isaiah 53. So if you want to turn there this morning, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. And some of these will be very familiar uh, verses to us. They're, they're not going to be new. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, Peter writes, "...for as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things..." As silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Also points us to Isaiah 53. We'll just read these references this morning. We won't expound much on them. Most of them will speak clearly for themselves. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. But he, reference to Christ, was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes, we are healed notice the healing comes with his stripes all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned every one to his own way and the lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all so we see that it is jesus christ his blood and he fully satisfied god's justice You see the second part, yet inasmuch as he was given by the Father for them and his obedience and satisfaction accepted in their stead and both freely not for anything in them. Okay, that points us to Romans 8.32 and 2 Corinthians 5.21. Romans 8.32 and then 2 Corinthians 5.21. Romans 8.32 says, he that spared not his own son... But delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. There is not a charge that could be brought against you to take away your justification. Not a single charge. Not if you're truly justified. Some might say, well, unbelief will. You're not going to be an unbeliever if you've been truly justified. You may have some bad actions. You will have some bad actions, but you didn't unjustify yourself. It's very important. 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite verses, I think, in all of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.21, often they say you shouldn't pick a favorite verse. Uh, This is one of them. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's about as clear as we can possibly get. It is, it is all about what Christ did. The last phrase, their justification is only a free grace that both the exact justice and rich grace of God might be glorified in the justification of sinners. When a sinner is justified, God's justice and grace is glorified. Does everybody understand see that? When God justifies a sinner, God's justice and God's grace is glorified. It's not one without the other. We don't say, well, it's God's grace in the justification of the sinners. No, it's also God's justice is also glorified. That points us to Romans 3.26 and Ephesians 1.6 and 7 and Ephesians 2.7. Romans 3.26, I think we looked at this verse last week. Paul writes to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. And of course, Paul goes on and asks the question, where is boasting then? There is no, there is no place for us to boast of any of our standing as far as justification. And then Ephesians 1, 6 and 7, and Ephesians 2, 7. First, we covered Ephesians as we've been going through um, our Sunday morning series on the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 6 and 7, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And then Ephesians 2.7, That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So the basis of justification is the work of Christ. Justification shows not only God's justice, but also God's grace. Both of those things are being exalted and glorified. So it's very important for us to understand by way of applying these truths this morning. It's very important to understand that the fact that God's grace in saving a sinner is evident does not override his justice. Okay? So we cannot we have to guard that fact that God's grace by saving an undeserving sinner does not override his justice. What actually happened on the cross is there was actually, Jesus Christ was actually paying the full price for the believer's sin. The entirety. That's what we read, we read in Isaiah 53. If we were to go on through the remainder of Isaiah 53, we will see that play out. Hebrews 10, 14 shows us that he has actually paid the full price. There's, there's, there is no, there's nothing remaining out there. It's, it's, not, it's kind of a crude illustration, but it, it's, it, the debt, there's, there's not a single cent more that needs to be paid. Even if I could scrounge up something, I wouldn't have anywhere to apply it because there is no debt. Now, we're going we're gonna to talk about that in a little bit of a different light, but I want you to think about that. There's, there's nothing else for us to do. It is therefore just for God to forgive those who are justified. It's completely just for him to justify those who are justified. Notice what I just said. It's totally just for him to, just, to justify the justified. That's Romans 3.26. So what is God's method of justifying sinners? It emphasizes God's rich grace in forgiving. Okay, it's his grace that forgives, Ephesians 1, 6, and 7. He forgives sinners without compromising his justice. We often think it's one or the other. If, 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 if God shows his grace, then in some way, shape, or form, he's got to be unjust in this area. No, both of these things are magnifying. So the basis of justification is the work of Christ. The obedience we read about in Hebrews 10 was a singular obedience. But how was that obedience? demonstrated. It was was demonstrated in two ways. Jesus Christ actually paid a debt. He paid the debt that was owed. Don't ever make the mistake of saying that there was no real debt. There was actually real debt. Your sin, my sin, was the debt. He actually paid the debt. What did Christ pay to God? Righteousness. Righteousness that is owed to God, not just what God wants, but what's actually owed to him. Now, by the way, the reason this is important, there's no further debt, is because every time, even after our justification, every time we sin, we would be, in fact, adding again to our debt. So every sin you commit today, if it wasn't a once-for-all, one-time work, you'd be adding to the debt. You think the national debt's bad. Our sin debt is, is well beyond anything we can even, even begin to even try to comprehend in our mind. We look at a national debt and we say, how does, a, how does a country get in this situation? Well, you can question all that I want, but I'm more concerned about how in the world does a wicked, vile sinner like me actually have his debt paid and didn't do anything? How in the world? That makes no sense to me. I understand debt. We all have a little bit of debt or some debt, a lot of debt. Personally, who knows what it is? Not important today. But we have to pay that or there's consequences. God didn't leave me to pay my own debt. Matter of fact, he hasn't given me an opportunity to pay my own debt. If I try to pay it, I have nowhere to apply it. He doesn't accept it anywhere. If I try to go before God and say, God, I've just decided I want to pay some of my own debt. He won't accept it. Now, he will accept what Christ paid. And he's, the only way I can get there is through what he paid. So that was, that was part of his obedience. And don't miss this, and oftentimes we neglect this, he endured the punishment for that debt. It wasn't just the fact that he paid it. He endured the punishment that that debt required. He endured the punishment. Isaiah 53 clearly lays that out. He was bruised for us. His stripes, the beatings, the the enduring on the cross, enduring the full wrath of the Father, he actually endured the punishment. The problem with us is, many problems, is not only do we daily fail to obey him, we make a further error of instead of obeying, we give him sin. Sin. So what you have to offer God is not obedience, sin. So how can you pay a sin debt with sin? You can't. You, you would just keep adding to your own debt. It's kind of like the person that doesn't know how to stop their spending. And they just keep spending and spending and spending. Then they wonder, how in the world did I get in this mess? Because you kept spending. That's all we do every day. If, God, if it's not in Christ by himself then if it wasn't this way, every sin that we committed would be adding to our debt. We would never catch up. Christ's work took care of both of those problems. It took care of the problems of the obedience that we couldn't give and took care of the problem of us continuing to give sin instead of obedience. Both problems taken care of. So the basis of justification is the work of Christ. Secondly, how is the Father, or what's the Father's relationship to justification? This is one of those key little nuanced theological truths we need to kind of settle in our minds. What is the Father's relationship to justification? We need to clarify and be sure we understand that Christ did not act on his own. Christ didn't go rogue to pay for sin. As a matter of fact scripturally speaking christ was given by the father get this was given by the father to save us from his own wrath so the father gave the son to spare us from god the father's wrath that's mind-boggling so wait a minute the problem that i have that i can't fix the debt that i can't pay god the father is going to provide the remedy That's going to spare me from receiving the wrath of the Father. And instead of me receiving the wrath of the Father, the Son's going to receive it. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what he's saying. There's nothing more glorious than that, that you're ever going to hear in your lifetime. You're guilty, but I'm going to pay it and I'm going to give you the way to spare you from my wrath. One man has put it this way, God saves us from God. I had to think on that's That's interesting. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a profound way to put it. God saves us from God. So the father's relationship clearly is the father gave. Number three, justification as we saw in the confession and in Hebrews 10 is by free grace. So free grace does not just glorify grace, it also glorifies God's justice. You cannot talk about God's grace and separate it from God's justice. God always does what's right. So God does not act unjustly. Again, Romans 3.26, "...to declare I say at this time his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus." So we understand the basis is the work of Christ. We understand that the Father's relationship to justification is that Christ did not act on his own, but he was given by the Father to save us from his own wrath. And thirdly, that justification is by free grace. Justice glorified, grace of God is glorified. Now, let's get, into the, let's get into the muddy water for a minute. Paragraph 3 clearly declares there's an emphasis on them. There's an emphasis on his own people there's an emphasis on that this does not include every single person on the planet hebrews 10 does no, in no way shape or form declares that everyone can claim this now this is why that one of those doctrines which will rattle the cages of a lot of people because they don't fully they're not thinking about what's happening this whole idea of limited atonement so we talk about something we're not talking about god is limited. We're not saying that God can't. We're not saying even that, that God is somehow being unfair. But what we are clearly saying, notice what it says in the center of that of paragraph three, it says, "...and did by the sacrifice of himself in the blood of his cross, undergoing in their stead the penalty due unto them, make a proper, real, and full satisfaction to God's justice in their behalf." So there's a reference to their stead and a reference to their behalf. The, the emphasis on their, and just like it was in Hebrews 10. Now, who is prevented from coming to Christ? Absolutely no one. If you will repent today and believe in Christ, he will not turn you away. So if you say, I can't come to Christ today, you're making that choice. You're deciding that today. Don't blame God for your lack of coming to him. Because if you come to him, he's not going to say, let me think about it. He's not going to say, okay. If you come to him, then you can have full assurance that he died for you. Now, I know it's the common gospel presentation. Again, this is the muddy water. The common gospel presentation is is that we somehow think we have the ability to declare who Christ died for. That I can say with 100% certainty, Christ died for you. That's the wrong emphasis. The emphasis is on you repent and believe the gospel. People ask the questions all the time. How do I know if I'm one of God's elect? If you come to Christ, you're one of God's elect. But if you don't come to Christ... You are individually responsible for your lack of coming to him. It's God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. He said, that's hard for me to grasp. I raise my hand with you. But he is not putting up anyone who wants to come to Christ. He's not saying, no, you can't. No, you can't. So if you don't come to Christ, it will be your fault, not God's. Now again, these are the, that's why the water is muddy. Because people will say that doesn't seem to make any sense. All we're saying is that God did the work, the basis is upon what Christ has done. It's not that God's blood wasn't sufficient. It's not that Christ's work on the cross wasn't sufficient. It's not putting a limit on God. It's just simply saying that unless you believe the other... You either have to believe one or two ways. You have to either believe that Christ died for some... Or that he died for all. And if he died for all, if the base of justification is the work of Christ, then that means you have to believe in universal salvation. There is no third option. Either his work accomplished it or it didn't. That's the controversy. The work is not based upon whether I accept it or not. The work is based on the work that he actually did. We don't present a Christ who may have worked on your behalf. We present a Christ that is the very basis of our justification. That's a tremendous difference. So when we stop and we think about, well, I don't believe everyone's going to be saved. So then what you're saying is that you believe God puts it completely on you then to choose whether or not you want this salvation. You who is only capable of sinning more and more, God gave the choice to you and you're going to choose God over your own sinful desires? I doubt it very strongly. We don't even obey in the basics, but yet somehow we can become spiritual enough to choose Christ for ourselves. We prove our depravity after we're saved by not even keeping simple obedience to God even after we know we've been saved by His grace and we choose to do wrong. But yet in that moment... Suddenly, when you're faced with Christ or hell, now you are spiritually mature enough to say, I'll choose Christ. Folks, that doesn't even make any sense. So you're spiritually strong enough to choose your eternal destination, but you're not spiritually strong enough to obey simple commands after you've been saved. See, you can't have it both ways. Either Christ's work actually was the work, Or he didn't finish it. And if he didn't finish it, he should still be standing. But he's not standing. He's seated. That seated and standing matters. Because up until Christ, that priest who went into the Holy of Holies, there was always more work to do. The atonement had to be made every single year. Christ is not going to the cross every year. And he's not going to a cross again. When he comes back again, he's coming coming in full glory and power. And he's either done it or he hasn't done it. He's either finished the work or he hasn't finished it. My salvation is either based upon me or it's based upon him. It's not 50-50. A horrible presentation of the gospel is to tell somebody, God's done his part. He's just waiting for you to come the rest of the way. Don't ever present the gospel that way. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not about Jesus did all he can do. He He did all he can do and... And so, and I, you have to ask people: Is that comforting to you, in the sense when you talk to somebody that they, they, they just didn't choose? Did that? Does that make their going to hell more palatable? It doesn't for me, because I know what I would choose. I would choose my sin, and so would you. We st- we still choose our sin often. You know, we, we, like to, we like to sugarcoat it and say, well, I just couldn't help myself. No, we pretty much know what sin is and we choose to do it. I say, I'm, I, Lord, I'm doing that today. We get real embrazened with sin, almost like, God, I'm going to do this, even though I know it's wrong. I'm going to do it. And if this isn't a struggle for you, praise the Lord. I'm glad you've got it all settled. It's not fully settled for me. I can think of instances this past week I chose to sin knowing what I was doing wasn't right either in thought or in deed. Thankfully that didn't add to my sin debt and thankfully God continues to bring us to repentance and shows us the error of our sin. And doesn't up there with a counter saying okay one more time if that sinner commits one more sin I'm telling you I'm yanking their justification from him. He would have yanked it a day after I, quote-unquote, accepted Jesus into my heart, if that was the case, it's not based upon that. It's based upon His work, His righteousness. Christ would would not have sat down if His work had not been done. He would not have ceased from His priestly service of presenting sacrifices if one offering had not been sufficient. This man, Christ, His offering, one time, did all that God's justice demanded god the father is not demanding anything else it's actually the 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 pinnacle of pride to think that you can present something greater than what christ has already given i I mean we talk about pride all the time that the greatest pride in the world is spiritual pride the most damaging pride that's happening in this world is spiritual pride I mean, everybody's a theologian and everybody's righteousness is better than that. I mean, the Pharisee, the Phariseeism of the world right now in Christian circles is unbelievable. My righteousness exceeds Christ's righteousness. He, Jesus even did that with the with the Pharisees. He said he said, unless you're righteous, exceeds the righteousness of God. Well, last time I checked, there's nothing I can do righteous enough to exceed Christ's righteousness. So if I'm saved, if I think I can be saved by works or keep myself saved, that's the pinnacle of spiritual pride to think, I can do something to add to the work of Christ. And I can't. He did all that God demanded. The message, the glorious message, it's very simple. That if you repent and you believe, you repent of your sins, you believe in Christ's work. You believe that he is the sole satisfaction of God's justice. He is, but you believe he is the one sacrifice, that he is all that you need. The Bible tells us he has perfected you forever. I don't ever have to wander around this world wondering if I'm a child of God. Folks, I'm telling you, this lack of assurance is a tool right out of the devil's tool belt. Because you're relying on fleeting feelings, and I'm telling you, your feelings are going to lead you astray because your feelings are coming from your heart, and your heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? Your salvation is not based upon feel. It's not based upon what you did. It's based upon the work of Jesus Christ. And it's declared. It's not given as an option. Hey, choose A or choose B. This is what it is. The offering for sin was given in order that sin would be put away. And if sin has been put away, and the Bible says that he will remember it no more, it doesn't mean that we're not still sinners, but that is not re-adding to our sin debt. And if we were having our sin debt re added to us again, then we'd have to put Christ back up on the cross again. And I can assure you, that isn't happening. He's not going back to a cross. He did it once. Seated at the right hand of the Father, work done, completed. Awaiting when he returns to this earth. What more? Honestly, what more today could you possibly want? I mean, seriously, given the choice and the option of everything this world offers, you already are in possession of the greatest possession you could ever have if you're in Christ. What more could you possibly want than a God... Who's provided the very remedy, the very very remedy for the problem that you have to spare you from the very wrath of a God who justly has every right in the world to condemn you and send you to hell? Has every right in the world to do it. Remember, He's not a mean God, He's a just God. Everything God does is right. But what more could we want? What more could we possibly desire? Folks, my encouragement to you today is to rest. Forevermore in the finished work of Christ and rest in it. We don't even know how to rest physically. We will run ourselves to death in this world laboring for things that are going to burn away. You ought to work hard but folks, do not make this life where you're trying to find your rest, your satisfaction. It's not going to be found. You will not find it here. But you will find rest if you rest in the work of Christ and you finally come to the place where you say, you know what, I've struggled with this for a long time. Today this is settled. I'm not, I am not, I am resting, I'm, I am, I'm taking Christ at His word. I take comfort in knowing that none, God will cast out None. None will be left behind. They may not be identified in our world today as a child of God, but I take comfort in knowing he will leave none of his own behind. I find a greater comfort than that than I do. God's leaving it up to you. Because you know what God leaving it up to you has led to? Lots and lots of false professions that have no weight to them. People have been told, pray this prayer and you're good. I actually heard a gospel presentation. I'm going on a rabbit. I don't gospel presentation way that way. Just pray this prayer, and you're good. It was given to a group of teenagers. Youth directors trying to be cool and hip. I know those are outdated words. I just dated myself. But that's what it was. Hey, you're good. Kids walk out of there with assurance. Assurance of what? That they're good. What's the word good mean? Christ himself asked the rich young ruler, you call me good. He's he's questioned this whole thing. Do you even know what good means? (laughs) And all he could respond with is he had kept all these things since his youth up. Christ was saying none of that makes you good. Praying your prayer doesn't make you good. So we treasure up words like this, that Christ has done all uh, all that we need. He's perfected us forever. These are words to be treasured. He says, again in Hebrews, sins and iniquities will I remember no more. So rest in it. Rest in the finished work of Christ. What debt I owed is gone. The wrath of God that was owed to me is gone. For those who are in Christ, those in whom Christ has died, believe what the Bible says. What does it say? They're perfected forever, them that are sanctified. Find your hope in that today, okay? That's where my hope is going to be found. My hope is going to be found in the work of Christ alone.